This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. All right, this evening we are beginning our second session in the series, but kind of last week was all introductory, uh, and then now we're going to get into the meat of things. Uh, I feel like I'm a little more prepared this week. We're just getting back from a trip last week, and then uh, and so now, not that I've had tons of time with a newborn and a homeschooler and other things going on, but I feel a little more, I'm very excited to, uh, to have the graphic up. I like graphics when it comes to uh, things. Yes, Mother? I do. All right. Yep. All right. So tonight, I want to go ahead and dig in. We're going to go to the book of Genesis, and we're going to be looking at God's creation of order. So tonight we're looking at God's creation of order. One thing that I I know that I struggle with, I know it's a problem. Uh, I don't know if I would want to say problem, but I get into preaching mode and I have to remember we're in teaching mode. And so, uh, again, I want to just re-emphasize, remind you that uh, if you've got any questions, any comments, any filling in, interrupt, raise your hand, whatever. We are. I, I want to make this an engaging time where we all walk away with something, uh, and I hope it's an encouragement. Uh, and then tonight, I really want to start looking at, we're, we're going to start the trajectory. And remember, I, I told you last time, oftentimes uh, this, this series might feel for a few weeks like we're kind of on a winding trail, and we're not heading somewhere straight, but we really are on a path that is going to get somewhere. We have an objective. And so we're studying the idea of missions being the avenue that God uses to bring order to chaos. And last week we, we talked about all of the chaos that is surrounding us. And we looked at it, at it from, from an entire world standpoint. We looked at it as a national standpoint. We looked at it in the state and even in, in just within our city, our local area. We look at all of the chaos going on around us, let alone in our own lives. I'm sure if I asked for examples of chaos that's happening right now in your lives, I'm sure that uh, there would be many examples, at least in my life. I don't know about yours, but in my life, I know there would be. And so what, what does it look like to walk through this world as a Christian? How do we live out the fact that God has a mission for us through Christ and that we are here, and, and Christ introduced the kingdom. This kingdom is, is saying, look, we have a new way of life to enter into, and it's a life without chaos. And this kingdom is supposed to bring order to the realm around it. And so tonight I want to go back and we're going to look at how God created order. We have a lot to read, um, and then a lot to get through. So You'll forgive me, I think I know my audience pretty well. I think you know the Genesis accounts pretty well. So we're going to hit the highlights, but not necessarily read all of Genesis 1 and all of Genesis 2 tonight. Okay? But I do want to begin with, in the beginning, God created the heaven 
and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And it continues on. And so tonight, what our lesson objective is, what I want us to, to get out of kind of as we're beginning this trajectory towards our end goal, tonight I want us to understand that order has been in creation from the beginning. And I want you to be able to point out what is objectively ordered and what is objectively chaotic. Meaning this, tonight essentially I want to give you the definition of order. Is really what we're trying to get to. When we talk about order, I think in our minds, right, what are some ideas of order? What are, it can be good, big, big, grand scale things, small things. When you think of order, what do you think of? Okay, day and night, yes. Perfect, perfect timing. It's amazing. Black and blue socks in one drawer and brown in another. All right, well, there you go. Good, good, good. I remember when Caleb was little, he used to line up his matchbox cars perfectly even, and I would come and I would push them, and he would go, Stop aggering me! And so Caleb liked order. Uh, any other ideas of order? I mean, just, just, I like the, I like the examples. Day and night on the grand scale, black and brown and blue socks and the other, sorry if I got that wrong, I, <laughs> but some socks. What else? In your life, what gives you a sense of order? Yes. Well, I was thinking pl um, order takes planning. Okay, great, yes. All right, exactly, and we'll get to that in a minute. So that's perfect, excellent. What? Mm-hmm. Yep. Babies throw that off. So, uh, great. Anybody else? What What gives you in your life a sense of order? It can doesn't. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Yes. Well, what, so we all we all have this idea then of what order looks like to us, right? Order to us. You know, if you walk into somebody else's home and you go through their kitchen. I was re this happened with my wife and I recently. We were at my sister-in-law's house around Thanksgiving. And they were gone for a little bit and, and we were at the house and I was kind of tidying up the kitchen and and I thought to myself, "Ah, this kitchen bothers me." Like I would put that there and I would do all of these things, but to her it was ordered. To me, I thought this is a terrible system. Right? Don't sorry Beth if you're listening somehow. But anyway, and so you know, everybody might have their own idea of order. And so I want to look, when we talk about order, bringing order to chaos, we need to kind of hone in and figure out, okay, what order are we looking at? Are we going around the world and teaching people black socks here and blue socks here? I mean, are we teaching people that you have to have a really good schedule? Because in America, man, we like our schedules. And so if you're going to follow God, you've got to just you know, redeem the time because the days are evil and you've got to just have a good schedule going. What does order look like? And so I want us to be able to do that. However, the first thing that we're starting off with is a contrast to the Babylonian creation myth. A contrast to the Babylonian creation myth. And so, when we look at Genesis 1, has anybody ever heard of the Babylonian creation myth? It's also called the Enuma Elish 
Is anybody familiar with it? No? Good. All right. Awesome. Um, I want you, there's a reason I'm bringing it up. One, because it is highly contrasted with the creation account. But two, apologetically, right, with defending the faith, this is something that you need to study into because a very a trending attack on Christianity is that up until the late 1800s, the oldest story, the oldest written story known to mankind was the Genesis account. In the late 1800s, there was a guy that came across in what is now Mosul, Iraq, this set of clay tablets called the Enuma Elish, and it was a Babylonian creation myth that dated to most likely being older than the earliest recorded Genesis account that we have. And they mirror each other very closely. And so now the attack, and something that you often will hear now, is that all of the Bible is simply redone Babylonian myth. Since, you know, since, uh, since Israel came out of Babylon after a while, you know, they, it all got mixed up, and boom, there you have it. The Bible's a copycat of all these old myths. And I want to look at it for a minute because this has to do with chaos versus order. So what happens in the Babylonian myth? It's, it's, it's a cool story. It's a cool mythology, albeit a weird one. The first thing that I want you to do is to imagine nothing. Okay? Just for a minute, I want you to imagine nothing. How many of you imagine darkness? Okay. Anybody else who, who imagined something else? How did you guys imagine? I want to know, if you didn't imagine something dark, what did you imagine? Water? Okay, that's great. I'm telling you, Brother Mike, you need to come and teach this class. <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay. Well, it's hard to imagine nothing, isn't it? Right? And so we have this thing where you go back and you look at all these creation myths, and most of them begin with water. And you have here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And so here in the Babylonian creation myth, you literally, they have nothing except this kind of amorphous, crazy, whatever they imagine nothing to be. But then suddenly these waters in and of themselves divided and became gods. There is no outside influence, but these waters... The, there's fresh water that divided and salt water that divided. The fresh water, his name was Apsu, and the salt water was named Tiamat. Now, they go all crazy about this because the word for deep in Genesis 1-2, darkness was upon the face of the deep. The word is Tehom. The word Tiamat and the word Tehom are are linked together. They are of the same lexeme, right? So they, they have the same root. So people are saying, ha ha ha, see, Tiamat and Tehom, the Bible is just copycatting the Babylonian myth. And so you don't have to remember this creation myth necessarily, but I want you, I want to contrast what God actually does. So you have, you have uh, Apsu and you have Tiamat and they have now divided and you have salt water and fresh water. Now, all of a sudden, these salt water and fresh water, they come together and mate, and they birth the younger gods. So now they've got lots and lots of gods, and wouldn't you know it, 
Papa Apsu, he gets mad because all these younger gods are noisy and loud and he cannot sleep. This is the myth. So he gets really mad and he begins to plot, how in the world am I going to kill all my godling children? And so he gets mad and Tiamat overhears Apsu planning. So she goes and she tells her oldest son, that's number three, and then uh, she goes and she tells her older son Anki or Enki. And Enki then rises up and he kills Apsu. But in doing this, even though Tiamat, the mother, warned him, he kills the father, now she's mad. Mad mama, right? Mama starts to go after all of the little kids, all the godlings. And so they get mad, she gets mad, and battle begins. There's a whole lot. I mean, this thing is whole a seven-plate seven story, and it's, it's a bunch of rhyming and words and all that. But long story short, Mama God creates a bunch of demons and horrible things and, and is very powerful. And remember, this is Tiamat. This is the salt water, right? The goddess of salt water. And she is trying to destroy all of her offspring. And in that, out of nowhere, the, the god Marduk rises up. Well, Marduk was the key god for Babylon. And so this is their way of kind of saying, ha ha, see, Babylon is superior. Marduk rises up, he kills Tiamat by shooting an arrow into her mouth and it splits her open and there's all kinds of weird stuff that happens. And then he creates the worlds, he creates humans out of another god that he kills with the blood and now humans are slaves to the gods happily ever after we love Babylon. All right. So this is what's happening here. This is the creation story. I want us to take a few things. Well, we'll just go right into the creation story of Genesis. There's a lot, if you read it, there really are, especially if you get into the, the, the wording of things, right? Tiamat and Tahom. Tahom being in the Hebrew, Tiamat being in the, uh, in the um, uh, Babylonian language. They're linked. There's a lot of similarities. But when we look at the Genesis count, I want us to see how God actually did things. First of all, we notice that God is outside of nothingness. God came from outside of nothing. He just always was. There, uh, we can't process nothing. When we imagine nothing, we imagine water, we imagine darkness, we imagine just this black void, but that, that's something. That is a void. There was nothing, and I can't explain that. But God came from outside of nothingness and chaos, and he creates the world. This is amazing. And then, in the beginning then, what we see, God, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. But there is a problem. If you want to call it a problem, God didn't create a problem, but there's, there's something happening here. And the earth was without form and void. These are the words, tohu vavohu, right? Now what this means, this is, these are words denoting chaos. For, I'm going to divvy up a couple, of, uh, a couple of things here. Anybody that can look up Isaiah 34.11? Isaiah 34.11, alright, uh, mom. And Jeremiah 4.23, yes, brother Andreessen. So, the earth is formed, something happens, God creates something, but this something is... Basically, watery chaos. It's tohu vavohu. There's, 
There's something that is there, but it hasn't yet been tamed, if we can say it that way. Well, these words, tohu vavohu, are only used of judgment throughout the rest of the word. And they're only used a couple of times. So in Isaiah 34, 11, we ready? Yep. All right. So that line of confusion and whatnot, that, those are riffing off of the Genesis tohu vavohu. So this confusion, there's, there's judgment that has come, and God sends chaos back as a judgment to these people. This is where I want us to get. There was chaos in the beginning. God, God is outside of everything. He comes in, he creates this, this planet, this, this ball of kind of watery chaos before he does anything with it. And then he brings order to it. But chaos is seen as a judgment later on in Isaiah. Then we also have Jeremiah 4.23. I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void, and the heavens, and they had no light. So Jeremiah is also prophesying. He's seeing a judgment coming. What has happened? All of the order that God has brought, Okay, there's a moment where he allows it being without form and void. There's judgment coming again. I want us to get these things because I want us to get... Uh, we see the, the creation account as this very... Um, at least when I think about it, I think about it as, you know, knowing it as a child, learning it as a child, right? I see uh, nothing and then this bright, happy stuff happening. But, but man, I'll tell you what, the Genesis makes it sound pretty messy in the beginning. There's this watery chaos and God comes in. But the difference is, and here's the big thing, there was no conflict between chaos and God. He was supreme over it. So in the Babylonian account, okay, and, I, and take that account as all the other belief systems in the world, okay, everything else, they believed that something had to rise up out of the chaos and defeat it, right? Marduk rose up and he defeated Tiamat, and therefore Marduk is the best. But what we believe is that we have a God that exists outside of the realm of being affected by chaos. He's bigger than chaos. He's bigger than difficulty. He doesn't have to fight it. All he has to do is speak and to tame it. That's what the Genesis account is setting up for us. It's showing us that God is not just bigger than chaos, not just able to defeat it, but rather that he is so grand, so outside of it, it can't touch him. Okay, so that's where we begin in Genesis. We begin with, uh, with nothing, and then there's this tohu vavohu, there's this watery, crazy chaos. God creates something, and there's this watery chaos, and then God begins to speak. And so, I'm sorry, yes? I'm sorry, yes, it is Hebrew. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Good, thank you for that. Any other questions so far on point one? I know it's a weird twist. I know looking at a Babylonian myth and then studying about missions is weird. But it's, one, apologetically, 
it's important to know about these things because a lot of people are starting to argue, no, no, the Bible is just based off a of Babylonian myth. Two, it's important to see the Christian ethic is rooted in a God bigger than anything that we deal with. Whereas every other ethic, is, it, it says, no, no, something has to rise up out of chaos and defeat it. God's already there. So that's why I'm trying to do this. But are there any other questions that I can answer anything? Yes, sir. I just think that uh, when you're looking at it in the Genesis account, the story of the, you know, the Babylonian stuff is, look at the Cain and Abel, what happened with Cain and Abel, yeah. right? And mm. so you can see the fighting there mm. um, with Cain and Abel, yeah. right? And I just wonder if somehow that isn't play, being played in mm. with that account because obviously Cain rose up and slew his brother, yeah. right? And huh. Yeah, that's a good the, Right, the chaos that yeah. happened. It wasn't God that did that. That mm. was sin that caused that, right, yeah. and the chaos. Mm. And so I think there's some parallels then with that story of the yeah, that's interesting. Babylonian account. So I'm just thinking about that. Yeah, thank you. That's a great observation. I like it. Thank you. So, yes? Uh, I've done some studying on this, and I find it interesting that uh, virtually every major civilization in the world mm. has a creation story. Yes, sir. The Chinese have one, the Egyptians have one, the Babylonians, the Sumerians, mm. everybody, including well, the, the Norse mm. gods, all of them have a creation story. Yep. Yes, sir. And it, some of them, yeah, <laughs> some of them are way off yeah. from each other, and then uh, the mm. others are fairly close. Now, you've done a, probably more study on all the different civilizations, but it seems to me that what I've looked into, a lot of them have to do with water, right? Yes. Yeah. So that's interesting to me because here in Genesis we have the deep, we have Tahom, we have watery chaos, we have something happening. That was how the ancients viewed nothing. When they thought of nothing, you know, I think of darkness, I think of outer space, but like nothing, right? That's... That's not nothing. When they thought of nothing, they would think of water, watery chaos. So that's, that's a great observation. Every civilization has a creation story. The Christian creation story, creation account, makes the most sense. It is one of the only ones that I know of, that I've ever heard, that has a God from outside of chaos and outside of nothing that brings something. So this, we have to get this, and I know we know it, okay, we've all grown up, we all believe this, but this is the foundation. If we're going to look at why God has sent us on a mission to bring order to chaos, we have to look back at before day one. What is the character of God? What is this God that we're dealing with? Why is it that God would want order to come to chaos when he could just easily let things go and it wouldn't really affect him? Those are important things to think about, right? Now, number two, I want us to look at the principles of order from Genesis 1 through 2. The principles of order. First of all, order requires God. That's a pretty, pretty easy uh, assumption, okay? Now, we would be coming, and, and this isn't an apologetics class, but we would be coming from what we would call presuppositional apologetics, meaning 
I'm not going to set out and try to prove the existence of God. That's just, I'm going to start with the assumption God is. Um, and that's where we can begin. There is, in every human being, there is a desire, there is a knowledge that there is something out there greater than self. And again, you can look at this in all of the creation stories. Something big, a turtle, I think the, I don't remember exactly what it was, I'm pretty sure part of it in Chuk is there's a turtle that came up out of nowhere. Is that also Japan, or the sword dipped in the water, and then uh, the islands of Japan, I can't remember. All right, anyway, there's water with the Japanese one too, I know that, but, um, and so... <laughs> And so in all of this, we understand that order requires God. Without God, there, there logically can be no order. Uh, I don't care how moral you want to be. I don't care how moral Sam Harris thinks that things can, people can be, or Tim Hawkins, uh, or not, not Tim Hawkins. Um, wow, yes, thank you. Uh, wow, who's the, the guy, the quadriplegic guy? Um, Thank you, Richard Dawkins. It rhymes with Hawkins. That's why I'm there. All right. Tim Hawkins, he's just a funny dude. You're right. All right. Woo. Anyway, Stephen Hawkins. Thank you, Richard Dawkins, Stephen Hawkins. Wow, a lot of ings and rhyming stuff. All right, and Sam Harris. All of these guys can argue all they want that, well, we can have morality without God. There can be no order without God. It's just not Logical order doesn't naturally happen. The second law of thermodynamics, first law, second law of thermodynamics tells us this. Anything that's left to itself faces what? Entropy. It, it stops working. Order is not natural. Order is supernatural. This is important to remember. So without God, there is no order. And that's exactly how Genesis begins. In the beginning, God. Now, second of all, these are all principles that we derive from Genesis, right? So, letter B, order requires division. Order requires division. Now, we see this, my, my mom even pointed out a minute ago, and we'll, we'll get to that specifically, but um, we look at the division that God makes immediately. There is nothing, and then he divides light and dark. The first act of bringing order, okay, over this tohu vabohu of the tahom, right? Over this watery chaos of the deep. What's the first thing that he does? He speaks and he divides. Without, and we're going to, I want to, we'll touch on this, so let's get through it. And I mean, you know all of these, but again, it's important. The goal, part of the goal of this class is like a diamond, right? The Bible is like a diamond. We know the creation account. We know the Old Testament. We know the New Testament. And we know it from different angles. I want us to start at Genesis 1 and twist the diamond just so that we're looking at the Bible for the next few weeks through the lens, through the, through the, the, the angle of order and chaos. Okay? And so, what we have is in Genesis, right away, order is happening, chaos is being put away, and we have division. There's light and dark. The waters above and the waters below are created, the sky and the water. We have land then. The water's further separated, and there's dry land, and then there's water. Now, 
even within this, we notice that the trees were to bring forth after their kind. So even, even more from just broad division, there was a narrow division. It wasn't just, well, trees produce trees. It was apple trees produce apple trees, and orange trees produce orange trees, and a banana bush, banana bush, okay, remember that. Nobody calls it a bush. I'm just, technically it is. But anyway, a banana bush produces after a banana bush, right? Do pineapples grow on trees or on plants? Yeah, thank you. All right, there we go. All right, A plus for this guy. All right, so we notice that even the trees were after their kind, even though there is a division among similarities. This is important. There is a division between day and night. There's a division between flying creatures and swimming creatures. Now, for me, I always feel really bad for the birds on the, uh, what is that, the fifth day of creation, right? Like, man, I mean, I guess they had land, but, uh, man, they had to fly a lot, it seems like. So, anyway, so we got the flying creatures and the swimming creatures, and then number six, we have the animals. Once again, after their own kind, horses, you make horses, and rhinoceroses, you make rhinoceri, or whatever that plural might be. I didn't think about that. And then we have man and woman. Now, so with this, this is, this is important here. Look at the chaos that is around us right now. Does it bring... Well, okay, I should have thought about the phrasing of that question a little better. It brings division in one way, the bad division, right? Like, I hate you, you hate me. But the broader scope, is it trying to divide things in an orderly way? Or is it trying to conglomerate everything into one thing? Right. So this chaos that we look at now... The only reason there's division in America is because one group says everything is the same and we should all just... And then the other group says, no, differences are good, you know, and, and let's respect that. And so everything, whether it comes to what's happening with, um, you know, the, uh, with gender, transgender, uh, all of these, it, it doesn't matter. There's really no major division. It's whatever one person feels like at any time. When it comes to uh, nations, you know, you look at the big hubbub with the European Union and uh, Brexit for a little bit and all of that. All of that was because everything is wanting to conglomerate into one thing. You look at, even when it comes down to Russia, Ukraine, you look at that, Russia wants to conglomerate. It wants to, instead of healthy division, it wants one thing. Okay? Even look at family issues. Oftentimes, you know, a lot of family issues arise from one person father or mother or sometimes children being selfish and desiring that the rest of the family conform to themselves. So not division, but rather, oh no, it's, it's all about we have to conglomerate. So when we look around, we have to start looking at the world through this biblical vision of order, and order requires division. Good division, healthy division, but division nevertheless. So then, not paradoxically, but rather in tangent, order also requires unity. I know that sounds paradoxical right off the bat. And you have to be divided and you have to be unified, right? But bear with me for a second. Order requires unity. There can be division, 
and yet unity. And we see this especially when we start to think about when God created uh, man and woman. This is really what we're looking at here. So God, at the end of Genesis chapter 1, he starts um, in verse, let's see, where are we at here? In verse uh, 26, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, fowl of the air. Okay, a division, right? Man is not an animal. There is a division between mankind and animal kind. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, fowl of the air, cattle, over all the earth, every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. He made them what? Male and female created he them, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. God, first of all, creates a division. There's a man, there's a woman. Okay? There's animals, and there's humans. There's plants, and there are birds. Okay? There's these massive divisions, but I want to hone in specifically, since we are humans, and the subject that we are studying is very human, right? I want to hone in on this for just a minute. Male and female are different, but they are united. Order requires unity. 128, he said, he blessed them, be fruitful and multiply, right? This is a, a beautiful unity. If there was no difference, there would be no true unity. There would be no coming together. There would be no coming together as man and wife and being able to fulfill the mandate of being fruitful and multiply. But because men and women are different and yet can unify, we're able to create more order. We're able to bring, the more children we have, the more things that happen, the more we can spread out what God has said, us, said to do and bring the rest of the earth into submission before the fall was kind of the idea. Be fruitful, multiply, your kids will go that way and then they'll be fruitful and multiply and then all of a sudden the earth is subdued, right? Why? Because there was division and unity at the same time. Uh, quick side note, we don't have time to stop there for too long, but in 220, okay, this is important. Uh, Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowl of the air, and to the every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an help meet for him. Again, division, but unity. This word help meet, okay? Sometimes it sounds a lot like a hamburger helper, right? Like, you know, Adam could have done without a woman, but, you know, like we just thought we'd spice things up a little bit or something like that. No, this word is these two words are azer connecto and it's this idea of the the crowning like this is the missing puzzle piece man like you know have you ever done a puzzle and you're missing that one piece and you're like ah it's almost really good but it's not quite really good and then you find the puzzle piece that is azer connecto this is the thing that completed adam and 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 so therefore what we have is a difference but a unified beauty this is important to remember and then we even see it in nature the sky waters the land they're different but unified the sky waters the land the land produces uh produces um plants plants put water back up into the sky the cycle continues different but unified order and we see the moon reflects the sun 
We couldn't have sunshine during the nighttime, but because they work in tangent, they're very different things, and yet they're working together by the order of God, we have true order. So order requires God. Order requires division. Order requires unity. Real fast, any observations or questions thus far? John Whitcomb, I, be I believe I've heard it. Uh, tell me more, though. Yeah, he, he passed away. Yeah, he, he, was, he taught uh, a class in Genesis yes. at the Bible Broadcasting Network Bible Institute. And, and uh, people don't realize how the moon can cause high and low tides, yeah. you know. And yeah. The moon, and uh, <clears throat> yeah. Amazing. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, it is. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing how things just coincidentally fell into place, isn't it? So, yep. Yeah, yeah. So, well, good, 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 good. All right. Uh, and so then, letter D: order requires submission. Okay, hot topic, right? We're not gonna again. We're kind of we're needing to zip through, but order requires submission. Man submitted to God. God was the one giving orders. Okay, God said, be fruitful and multiply. God said, replenish. God said, have dominion. And man, oh, and God also said what? The big one, right, that we all messed up on, which we'll talk about more later in another session. But God said, hey, by the way, don't eat of that one tree over there, right? Man was supposed to submit to God. There is no true order that can happen without submission to God. And so we see man submitted to God, Eve submitted to Adam. Again, we talked about this Ezra Konegdo already, so we know, and I don't think I have to go into it super duper deep, but we know uh, submission, right, is not talking about the man is the boss and he gets the say of everything, but rather he is the head, he is the one responsible before God for his family, for his wife, for his children, and, uh, but together, they work together in unified equality before God, but man is responsible to lead in that way. So Eve was uh, submitting to Adam, and then creation was to submit to mankind. Creation, the work was a good thing, right? And they were supposed to work, but it wasn't going to be, you know, by the way, pull out 700 weeds from your garden today and, you know, do all of that. It, I don't know what it would have looked like, but it would have been pretty fun, I'm guessing. But creation was supposed to submit to mankind. But we don't have that. So, again, look at the chaos. I want you to look at all these things within the chaos that's happening around us today. Okay? Again, there's no unity in a good way. You have... Men versus women, right? Feminism versus the manosphere, right? Ugh, we don't like that. Uh, we we have division when it comes to uh, when it comes to race. There is much division that's being poked and prodded, and you know, no, you have to look at it through the eyes of of uh, I'm white or I'm black or I'm this or I'm that. And there's no unity that can be there in this beautiful division that God has made, and God has required that there should be unity if there would be order. Then also, order requires submission. Well, man, we struggle with submission on every single level nowadays. Yeah. We don't want to submit 
uh, well, it's hard to submit, right? Hard to submit to uh, a tyrannical government. We don't want to submit. So children don't want to submit to to parents. Uh, you know, people don't want to submit to their elders, their pastors. People don't. You know, we know there's no submission nowadays. You look around at chaos and everything that Genesis sets up as God is a God of order. Here's how He ordered everything. You look around nowadays. And you can readily find examples that are the opposite. Order requires submission, but then, letter E, order requires goodness. All that God made was very good, was good and very good. This word tov, right? It's the, even nowadays in Hebrew, if you were to ask somebody in Hebrew how they were doing, a lot of times they would say, tov, I'm fine, like I'm doing, you know, I'm well, okay? So tov is really, it's not this special word. In fact, it's used like close to 500 or more, more than 500 times throughout the Old Testament. So it's, it's kind of a general word, right? But it, it has this idea of pleasant and delightful. So when God made everything, God has come from outside of nothing, however that happens. God comes and there's this, he, he at some point creates this watery ball, and there's stuff going on, and he begins to speak and to divide and to create order. And then we get further into the story, and there must be division, so that there can be a good unity, right? And then after that, there's submission, and good things are happening. And then he stands back and he looks, and he says, that is very good. Order requires goodness. I think the parallel that we can rightly assume is that this idea of beauty, right? Again, look at modern art. Christ By the way, okay, I'm just going to throw this in here. Christians should be involved in the arts. Christians should be involved in art. Christians should be involved in music. Christians should be involved in uh, landscaping. And in architecture, why? Because God's a God of order, and He creates beauty. Look at modern art, and it's pretty disgusting, most of it. It's really not that beautiful. And then you look at these, these works of old, and it's like, wow. I mean, down to David's forearm in, his, in the sculpture of David, you see his forearm flexing. That's amazing. God is a lover of beauty. I mean, man, I've only seen pictures of the Japanese countryside, but I want to go there because it is so gorgeous. I was looking at uh, pictures today of back home uh, of uh, in Chuk. I was looking at some sunset pictures, and we we're picking out something for a pair card. And I was like, man, I, I miss it. It's just beautiful. So order necessitates, it requires goodness. It requires beauty. Whatsoever is good, of good report, think on these things. So you can have no order without any of these things. And then finally, order requires progress. Order requires progress. Again, 128, we're given the mandate to have dominion. Well, dominion doesn't mean, well, you know, you guys can, I rested, so now you guys can sit back and rest, and for the rest of eternity, we'll just kind of eat bananas together and hang out. That wasn't the idea 
of creation. That wasn't what God did. God said, I've made the base. Here is this garden, right? And again, we think, at least me, okay, I'm going to generalize, but I would imagine I'm not the only one that's had these thoughts. When I imagine creation and I think of the Garden of Eden, I think of that being like, man, that was the world. No. The Garden of Eden had gates. The Garden of Eden was a place. It, it actually reflects and has these, uh, the temple reflects the Garden of Eden. I mean, it was this high point where humanity and God would meet. And they were supposed to get to this place where they expanded from the Garden and subdued the world. That is order. It's progress. Order cannot be stagnant, right? Because we just talked about that. Entropy. If you've ever had a routine, how many of you have had the same routine for 30 years? Thank you. A couple of people. Nothing's ever changed about it? I, I envy you then. <laughs> maybe, maybe when Milena or Uriah at this point is 30, maybe I can say I've had the same routine for 30 years. But generally speaking, order cannot stay stagnant. It has to progress. And that's this idea. We look in uh, chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. He took him from outside of the garden where he formed him and put him inside of the garden to dress it, to keep it, to make it better. To make it better. That's an amazing thought to me. God said, hey, I created something really amazing. I'm going to let you go in there and rule it and you can make it better. <laughs> I don't understand. But order requires progress. Man was to have dominion. Uh, yep, I got ahead of myself. There you go. That's the notes there. Now, we're going to wrap up, get to the last point. Oh, yes, sorry. Letter G. Order require, uh, order, excuse me, order allows. See, everything up until this point, order requires these things. But when we get to the point where we're living a life of order before God, order allows shamelessness before God. Verse 25 of chapter 2, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. The world was in perfect order. And there was no shame. Man and woman were living naked in every aspect. Before themselves, before God, and there was no shame. Now, just to clarify, so I'm not talking like, hey, if we can go make the world an orderly place, guess what we all get to do? <laughs> Alright, so all right, let's not go there. But... Uh, but what I'm saying is that before God, when we live a life of order, when we allow Christ to come in and rule and reign and bring order, there is therefore no, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh that is all chaotic and crazy, but walk after the Spirit. There's no condemnation. So listen, if you walk away with a thought tonight, I want it to be this. Christ has ordered your life. If he lives in you, Christ has ordered your life. And before God, there's no condemnation. True order brings shamelessness before God. We think of examples, a well-ordered home is shameless, right? What do most of us do? We got company coming over! We got company coming over! Shove it in here. My, my daughter is learning to clean her room. Uh, we've been working on this. She's seven years old. We've been working on this for six and three-quarter years now. And uh, 
we still, it's like, hey, there's a rug right here. We're going to rug it here. And, you know, it's just crazy. So a well-ordered home, I'm not saying that if you don't have a well-ordered home, like it's spotless all the time, you don't love Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying a well-ordered home is shameless. A well-ordered life, right, one that's put together is shameless. A well-ordered garden is shameless, right? Usually when I have a garden, I'm pretty embarrassed of it. Because I'm like, man, <laughs> I shouldn't let all that grass grow around my pineapples or whatever. But um, So yeah, that's the idea that I'm getting at. Now, we have a lot of scripture passages coming up. And, and scripture is obviously vitally important. But as we have spoken about last week, your job is to be Bereans. And to make sure that what I'm spouting out is truly lining up with the Bible. So it's not that I'm trying to skip over it, but I, I do want to get to the last point. So we're going to go through this. You've got all of the references to double-check what I'm saying. But the order of God, I want us to see then, God starts Genesis 1, in the beginning God. From outside of chaos, outside of nothing, God enters... And then from Genesis 1-1 all the way to Revelation now, we are watching the order of God. What does it mean that God is a God of order? Well, first of all, we see it in creation, and not in the creation account. That's not what I'm speaking of. But just in creation all around us, as we just spoke about, we see that the creation that he made is a creation of very intricate order. It's amazing. You see this in Genesis 1, see this in Genesis 6, in Job 38 through 41. I love, man, especially as a boy, I loved imagining about like Leviathan and Behemoth, man. And that was just cool. I still like thinking about that. I think it's awesome. I just noticed the other day, by the way, I was looking at a, uh, a map of Chuk. In between Chuk and Yap. Oh, no, it was today. I was looking at pictures on my iPhone on the map thing. And I never realized the Challenger Deep was right, happened right in between where Chuk and Yap are at. So I will be signing autographs later tonight. Uh, I live about 7,000 miles away or something from where that happened. No. So anyway, we got just a few minutes left. Psalm 104, 19 through 30 talks about the order of God in creation. Creation reflects the order of God. We see the order of God in himself. And most of this is looking at the Trinity, right? We see how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's never been a moment of division, of, of ugly division, but they are yet divided. There's never been a moment, save on the cross of Jesus Christ, where there has been no unity within the tri, the tri unity. There's never been a moment of no beauty. There's never been a moment uh, of no submission, which is amazing to think about, that God submits to God, <laughs> and yet is God. You can go through each example, each point that we have, and, and we see the unity of God, the order of God in himself. We see this in his dealings with us. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son. Why? Because he was dealing with us in an orderly way. It was the right time. And then finally, in his body, okay, the church, we see that there is to be order. There must be. A church cannot properly function without order. Just a quick reflection, and I want you to think about it. 
What are some other areas of scripture in which maybe you see the order of God? Does anybody have, I know that's a big question right off the bat, but what are some areas of scripture in which we can see the order of God? Yes, sir. The heavens declare the glory of God. It's yes, sir. King James, but, uh, yeah, and the firmament declareth his handiwork. handiwork. Yes, sir. And then Psalm 19. How about in Exodus when he's given out the law? Yes. It's very ordered. It is. It's very detailed. Man, it's amazing. When you really dig into that, it's like, gracious, how amazing is God to give orderly rules? Thank you. Ama excellent. Building of the tabernacle. Y'all just get some material over there and put together something nice. <laughs> nope. Do it. These exact requirements. Right. Amazing. That his word will not return empty. Mm. Thank God for that. Amen. Void. I wonder what that word is. I didn't even think about that. That would be interesting. Do you know right off the bat? Come on, Doc. All right. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes. You're right. That's amazing. That's an amazing thought. Amazing thought. Man, yeah, I'm so glad. Glad that the Lord prompted that question because those are amazing answers. So I've got one final question I want us to meditate on. I have an answer for it. At least I think it's an answer. I, I believe it's a biblical answer. I want us to think then, how can, this is another question that I want you to kind of meditate on through the week, right? How can we use the principles of order that are found in creation uh, to begin the work of restoring order around us. So if you want to meditate on that, I think the, the question should be in your notes, should be on the back on page four, I believe. Is it there? Okay. Take that question and meditate on it through the week. I would love to hear some of your answers. Okay. But real fast, I just want to close. I've got about two minutes. We can, we can look at order, and if we're thinking biblically, right, if we're thinking about all the Bible being put together, we're thinking about, well, what about, what about the end, especially when Second Peter, right, Second Peter 3 says that all of a sudden everything, the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. Uh, everything's just going to, you know, and so let's turn there. That is important. Second Peter 3, 9 through 13. We're not going to read the entire uh, thing, but Second Peter 3, verses 9 through 13. But specifically, I'm looking where it says in verse uh, 12, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwell righteousness. Now, again, I mentioned last week, we're to have biblical outlooks. We're not to have this, you know, ostrich head in the sand, woe is us, hanging on to the last day, and I hope we make it. That is not our biblical mentality that we ought to be having. Rather, we should have a victorious Christian uh, mentality. Christ has crushed the head of the, Satan, uh, of the serpent. All the chaos we see right now is the tail swinging, but the head is crushed. So when we look at passages like this, and we say, well, wait a second. This earth, everything's going to burn up anyway, and there's going to be something new eventually. Why bother with trying to bring order to this present world? 
That's a valid question that we need to work through. Otherwise, we end up in that modality and that mentality of, well, Jesus is coming back anyway, so save as many people as we can, and, uh, and then that's, that's what we'll do. No, we should be proclaiming the gospel. We should also be bringing order to the things around us. Why? Quick, quick answer. Um, and then you've got, at the bottom, there should be some footnotes, too, for you to, to double-check what I'm saying. And do your research. I'm up for people disagreeing. It's okay. I won't be mad. Um, but this word new, right? There's a couple words for new, okay, in the Greek. The word new, we've heard it. You've heard it before. It's neo, right? Neo this or neo that. That's neo. The word neo in Greek has this idea of something entirely brand new, a new baby, right? brand spanking new right out of the womb that sucker's never been seen before right that's the idea of neo however when it talks about new heavens and new earth that's not the word it's the word kainos and this word denotes new in quality and can can also mean something that has been restored why do i say this our mentality should not be, well, everything's going to burn up anyway, so why even try? Rather, what does God say? When he talks about the works that we do, if it is good, if it is worthy, if it is for him, it will pass through what? The fire. as gold and silver and precious stones. What's well, not to say that things here that are good and orderly in the sight of God will not be made renewed in the new earth? We ought to be able to make that as much order as possible so that as little as possible has to burn. Amen. I like it. And we will end it on that. The master recycleth. I like it. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.